0: Go with me over to the Gospel of Luke, and we will continue the series that we have started some weeks ago. I believe this is part four of the series called Healing is the Will of God. And we know that our circumstances is not what determines what truth is. And yet we live in a time and a society where most people look to their circumstances to decide, is this how it works or is it not? Is that what I experience? And what we've been doing is looking into the Gospel of Luke and we are answering the question, does God want you to be sick? Does God want you to be healed, more importantly? And we are examining reason after reason of why we believe that it is God's will for us to walk in divine health health that he supplies to us. And so we'll do a little bit of review and go through some of those um, reasons. And, but let's start here in Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, he's not doubting the ability of God. He's doubting the willingness. Questioning the willingness of God. Right? He knows God can. He's just not sure if God wants to. And so, we know that Jesus only did what He saw the Father do. He was a demonstration of the Father's will in the earth. That's what He was. He demonstrated, in every case and situation that He encountered, the will of the Father. And so, He in verse 13, reached out his hand, he touched him, the untouchable, right? He touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the disease left him. So, we've been answering the question, is it God's will to heal us? And we looked at the first reason, does anyone remember what reason number one was that we believe, why we believe God's will is to heal everyone? His Word is medicine. That's right. Proverbs tells us that if you take His Word, if you treasure it, if you store it in your heart, that it'll be life to you and health to all your flesh. And we've determined that if His Word is healing to our flesh, if, it, if it's God's will for us to be healed... Well, let's say it a different way, if saying that healing is not for everyone would be saying that His Word is not for everyone, right? But we know His Word is for everyone and it's His will and His Word brings life and health to our whole body. Reason number two, why we believe that it is always the will of God to heal everyone is because a strong spirit will sustain you. A strong spirit. Proverbs also tells us that the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. That's in chapter 4. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. Well, is it God's will that someone have a weak spirit? No. It's His will that everyone have a strong spirit. And so a strong spirit will sustain you. That alone would be reason enough for you to walk in divine health. Reason number 3. That healing is always the will of God. And we believe it, is when we look at God's original creation. Go all the way back to the beginning, and when He created the earth, and the stars, the angels, when He created man, the animals, everything, He said it was very good. He called it very good. And He said it multiple times, it's good, it's good, it's good. And finally, when He's all done, He looks at it and goes, man, this is very good. And yet, we don't find any of those days where He created sickness. Or He created disease or deformities or tumors or cancers or all the different problems, immune system problems, right? He didn't do that. He created it without sickness and without disease. That's His original plan. No sickness, no disease. Sickness and disease was not His idea. Reason number four, healing is always the will of God for everyone, is because heaven and the new creation that He will make. If you look in the book of Revelations, you see that He's going to make everything new, it says. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And then immediately, He says, in Revelations chapter 21, you'd find it. He says He's going to wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will no longer exist. You know, death is just an exaggerated form of sickness. Right? Death's no longer going to exist. Grief and crying and pain. Well, sickness brings pain a lot of times. Pain's not going to exist any longer. All the previous things are going to pass away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Let's go back to the original plan that he had at creation. No sickness, no disease, no tears, no crying, no pain, no death. Hallelujah! Man, that's good news. So, reason number five that we believe healing is always the will of God is because of the origin of sickness, where sickness came from. How did sickness come into this perfect creation God had made? And if you look in in Romans chapter 5, it tells us that therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, so how did sin come? Through one man, through Adam, and death through sin. So death came, had access because of sin. Death had access because of sin. You know, death is going to be judged and cast into the lake of fire along with the devil. That's what Revelation tells us. It says, death through sin came and in this way, death spread to all men because all have sinned. So how did sickness enter that perfect creation? was through sin. Sin is the origin of sickness and death. The reason number six, that we believe it is always the will of God for everyone to be healed, is because sickness is a work of the devil. Sickness is a, a, a work of the devil. Why would we say that? Well, in Job, remember in Job chapter 2, it says that Satan left the presence of the Lord and went and afflicted Job with painful boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Who did the afflicting? Job, did, I mean, Satan did. Not God, Satan did it. Satan did it. In in Psalms 41, in uh, the New King James, it reads this way: "An evil disease, they say, clings to him, and now that he lies down, he will rise up no more." He calls it an evil disease. Well, that's really not a completely accurate translation. Really, a disease of belial would be the correct translation. A disease of belial. Belial means all that's evil and wicked. All that's horrible. All that's darkness. It encompasses that. And Satan is called Belial. You can find that in the word in multiple places. In fact, um, the uh, Passion Translation reads this way. He says, he got what he deserved. It's over for him. The spirit of infirmity is on him. He'll never get over this illness. The uh, God's Word Translation says, a devilish disease has attached itself to him. So... Satan is the orid, or is the inflictor of sickness. Remember the woman that was crippled by spirit of infirmity for 18 years that Jesus met? Jesus had something to say about her. He identified the spirit. He said this in Luke chapter 13. He said Satan has bound this woman. Not God, Satan did it. Are God and Satan working together? No. Nope. Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Jesus is speaking out the will of God. And God's will is she be loosed from satanic bondage. In fact, you can even go further over to Acts 10.38. We all know the Scripture. It says how Jesus was anointed... Right, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how He went about doing good and curing all who were under the oppression of the devil. The oppression. He went about healing and curing those who were under demonic sicknesses. be another way of saying that. So those are the six reasons why we believe that healing is always the will of God for every person. So let's go look at reason number seven. Reason number seven. We'll go further. Reason number seven that we believe healing is always the will of God for everyone is because of the eternal names of God. The eternal names of God. So I have 16 names I'm going to share with you. 16 names. And one of them has to do with healing for sure. So let's start with some of the most commonly used ones. The word Elohim, Elohim, it means God or judge or creator. It can also refer to little g gods or angels or even sometimes a man. But in, in the form of speaking of God, it's used over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, Elohim. And the first time it's used in Scripture is in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. And it's usually translated just God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. So I, So I have a question. He was God back then. Is he still God today? Yeah. So he hasn't changed. No. So he's still the same as he was back then. Yeah. Still God, OK? So in the old covenant, before the old covenant, during the old covenant, he was God. But in this new covenant that we're living in, he's still God, right? Okay, good. I'm glad we cleared that up. The next name of God is El Olam. Now, if I'm not pronouncing these right, you'll just have to be okay with that, alright? I'm not a Hebrew scholar, or, or I don't speak Hebrew. And, um, but El Olam is how I understand that's pronounced. This is what it means. It means the everlasting God. Everlasting God. The God of eternity. or The God of the universe. The God of the Ancient of Days. The everlasting God. The first time it was used in scriptures in Genesis 21, verse 33, it says, Abraham plant. Now, what had just happened is Abraham had just made covenant with King Abimelech. And they made this whole agreement. They're not going to attack each other. They're going to live in peace. And so Abraham goes out and plants a tamarisk grove, some trees. That's an evergreen tree. And um, it's an interesting fact, when you come to Christmas this season and you see all the evergreen Christmas trees, realize that the evergreen tree is a symbol of covenant, a symbol of covenant. And we also know someone was crucified on a tree. So when you see a tree, allow it to point you and remind you of the symbol of covenant, the cross, all right? All right. But here it says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. The everlasting God. So he's the same today, yesterday, and forever, right? Has he stopped lasting? Well, everlasting. He's not the God of the used to be, right? He's the God of everlasting. He's not the temporary God, so, so his name hasn't changed, Right? So, see, when, when someone has a name, we expect them to live to their name, right? We expect Jack the Ripper to rip, right? We expect John the Baptist, that's a little better example. <laughs> John the Baptist, we expect him to baptize, right? Baptize, John the Baptist means dipper, it means submerger. He's, he baptizes. John the Baptizer. Was his name? So what would we expect John to do? Well, baptize people, right? So what would we expect right here? In God's names. It means he's going to do what his name says. Everlasting. He's not temporary. He's everlasting. In the New Covenant, by the way, we say Old Testament, New Testament. Really, it's it's not a great translation. It should just be called Old Covenant, New Covenant. That's what the word testament means. Covenant. So when you hear Old Covenant, New Covenant, think right here. So we see in the New Covenant, witness for Him being an everlasting God is found in Romans 16.26. It says, Jesus, talking of Jesus, is now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the everlasting God. To advance the obedience of faith among all nations. So here we see that even in the New Covenant, He's referred to as the Everlasting God. The next name of God is called Kano. Kano. And it means jealous or zealous. Again and again in the Old Covenant, we are told that God is a jealous God. Don't worship other idols. He's jealous for, for you and you alone. In Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6, this is the first time it's used in the the Old Covenant. It says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate Me, but showing faithful love. Is He also a faithful God? Faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love Me and keep My commands. He is faithful to His covenant. So He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Was He jealous and zealous back then? Is He still jealous and zealous? A new covenant witness for this would be give you uh, two scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10.22 in the ESV says, Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Paul is asking the question. He was talking about don't be unequally yoked to unbelievers. What, what, mixture does, what does light and darkness have in common? What does Christ and Belial have in common? And then he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? No, He is still the same jealous God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, in the Holman reads this way, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Paul is saying this. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. So he has a godly jealousy. It can't be godly if God doesn't have it. Right? So in order for something to be godly, it means it's like God. Alright, the next one, name of God. We expect God to live up to His name. In fact, whether we expect it or not, He will. He will. El Shaddai means Lord God Almighty. All sufficient one. All sufficient. Everyone say that. All sufficient one. All sufficient. So in the Old Covenant, El Shaddai occurs seven times. And the first time it's used is in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence. And be blameless. Is God still the Almighty today? You no, know, we decided He's everlasting, but is He Almighty? Or is He just little mighty? Almighty, right? There's nothing He can't do. The New Covenant, Jesus said this about Him. He said, with God, all things are possible. That's pretty mighty. That's almighty, right? All things. In Luke 1.37, the angel Gabriel said to Mary when he was telling her that she was going to give birth to Jesus, he says, nothing, when she said, how is this going to be? Because I've not been with a man. He goes, nothing will be impossible with God. Pretty mighty. Almighty. El Shaddai. The Lord Almighty. The All-Sufficient One. Another name of God is El Elyon. El Elyon. It means the Most High God. The Most High. In the Old Covenant, El Elyon occurs 28 times. And it occurs 19 times alone in the Psalms. The Most High God. First time it's mentioned is in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. And then at that time, Abraham starts referring to him that way after that. He says, I have made a covenant with God Most High. I've made an oath to God Most High. And he recognizes that there is no God higher than Him. So is He still the Most High? Or is there someone that surpassed Him now? No. He hasn't changed, has He? All these names have not budged a bit from what they were way back when they were first used, have they? These names of God. He still is all these things. In, In the New Covenant... In Luke chapter 1, it says, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. This is when the angel was talking. I read this a little bit ago. And you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Pretty everlasting too, isn't it? God Most High. Again, in verse 35, he says, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Most High. No one higher. Another name of our God is Adonai. Adonoi, And it means Lord or Master. In the Old Covenant, it was used 434 times. It's used very heavily in Isaiah and in, in Ezekiel. It's like 200 times in Ezekiel, I believe. In Daniel chapter 9 alone, it's used 11 times. Adonai, Lord, Master. He was Lord and Master, is He still? Yes. The next name is very, very similar to it, is Yahweh. Or we would pronounce it the way we hear it often today is Jehovah. We've added vowels and done all sorts of things to it in the English to make it, make it sound... Um, pronounceable, make it pronounceable for us, but really I think the way they would say it is Yahweh and um, means Lord Jehovah. Now this one here in the Old Covenant was used 6,519 times. It's used the most of any name of God. Yahweh, Jehovah. 6,519. The first time it's used is in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 4, it says, These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation at the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Be Jehovah God, Yahweh God. Yahweh. Is He still Yahweh? Is He still Lord and Master? Yeah, we know the New Testament's full of that, isn't it? Call Him Lord. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? It's all through our language. Here's another name of God, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Nissi, that's how we pronounce it. It means the Lord my banner or the Lord my flag, the Lord my flag, the Lord my miracle is another translation of it, the Lord my miracle, the Lord is my banner of victory or triumph. He is my flag of victory or triumph. Now, this is right after in, in the book of Exodus in chapter 17. It's right on the heels of defeating Amalek. And this is what the Lord, or what happened in 17, verse 15. And Moses built an altar, just on the, they just won this battle. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. The CEV translation says it this way The Lord gives me victory. The Lord is my banner of victory, you could say. Is He still the God of victory? Yeah, Yeah, He is. The God of victory. Have any of you ever overcome anything? Yeah. Yeah. So He hasn't changed at all, has He? In the old covenant, He was the God of banner of victory. Today, He's still the banner of victory. In the new covenant in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, verse we know very well, thanks be to God who gives us the... Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is still in the victory business. Second 2 Corinthians 2:14 2, in, the, in the AFV says, "But thanks be to God, who always leads us triumphant in Christ, who always leads us triumphant in Christ. He gives us victory. He hasn't changed. Another name of God is Yehovah Ra. This one means the Lord is my shepherd. You can find it in Psalms 23, verse one. The Lord, my shepherd. Is He still our shepherd? Yeah. So He hasn't changed. He's no different than He was then. No. no. In fact, John 10:14, Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me." So He's still our shepherd. He hasn't changed a bit. Jehovah <clears throat> Shammah. Yehovah Shammah means the Lord is there or the Lord is present. It's another name of God. How do you like that one? God is present. That's one of His names. God is there. Didn't He promise I'll never leave you or forsake you? I mean, that's a new covenant There. In in the Old Covenant, in Ezekiel 48, 35, in the ESV, it reads this way. This is the first time it was used. The circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be, The Lord is there. The Lord is there. So He's still present, right? He said, Where two or three are gathered in My name, Jesus said that in the New Covenant, I am there. Matthew 28.20 at the Great Commission, He says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. He's present. The Lord is there. He hasn't changed at all. He's still there. Thank You, Father, for being there. Yeah. Yehovah Sidkanu is another name of God. Yehovah Sidkanu Means the Lord, our righteousness. Lord, our Righteousness. In Jeremiah 23, verse 6, In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which we he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. The name of God, the Lord our Righteousness. Is he still the Lord our Righteousness? Yes, yes he is. In the new covenant, I'll give you... Several scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He still makes us righteous. Lives up to His name. Romans 10 verse 4 says For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's what Christ is still today. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 in the New King James says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So he is still the God, our righteousness. Here's another name of God, Jehovah Mkadesh. I guess I'm saying that right. Mkadesh. Jehovah and Kadesh. it means the Lord who sanctifies you, the Lord who cleans you, the Lord who sets you apart, the Lord who makes you holy, sanctifies you, makes you holy. Is He still the God who sanctifies us and makes us holy, or has He stopped that? No, He didn't at all. Has it lost any kind of power, any kind of weight since it began? No, not at all. Exodus 31, verse 13 says, You are to speak to the Israelis. You are to surely observe my Sabbath because it is a sign between me and you from generation to generation, so you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Well, we know that Christ sanctifies us and makes us clean and holy in the new covenant. You know, the old, I'll just put this in for. Or uh, extra, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, you know, we look at the law that God gave to the Israelites, and sometimes we view that law as problematic. We view the law as um, showing, you know, what was the purpose of the law? Well, I guess to show them how difficult it was to be right, Uh, to show them that, um, you know, we get all these things to show them how far they were from God. And people end up thinking negatively of the law. And that's not what the law was at all. The law was, think of it, I I saw this recently, think of it as a giant washing machine. It cleaned the Israelites. That was the purpose of the law. They were already not clean and not living right. So God established a set of rules that they could be presented sanctified to the Lord. And so they would come in, they would have the priest do the offering, and then they would go out, and they would immediately need sanctified again. It was just one giant wash machine that constantly was cleaning all the dirt. Well, we know that Christ is a much better sacrifice than the blood of animals. And that He went to the cross one time for all sin, past, future, present. In Hebrews 10.10, 10, it says, This is the will of God. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 1 Corinthians 1.30, I read this moment ago. says, Of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification. The God who sanctifies, who cleans. <laughs> Has He changed? Alright, how about this one? Many of you like this one. Yehovah I would have have known it this way. Jehovah Jireh. I barely know how to pronounce it the other way. Jehovah Yireh. I think is how it is. Yireh. Jehovah Yireh. It means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. It means the Lord sees ahead and provides. It means the Lord sees and provides. Did you know the Lord sees you? He provides for you. This is who he was. He was the God who provides. Is he still the God who provides? Yeah. In Genesis 22 and verse 14 is where we find this name of God. And it was right when Abraham had taken his son Isaac up onto the mountain and to, to uh, sacrifice him, because the word of the Lord had told him to go do that. And so he raises a knife. The angel stops him. And um, Abraham named. And, and then there was a ram in the thicket, a sheep in the thicket that was the substitute for Isaac which was a type of Christ, substitute for us, right? For the sacrifice. And so Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. As it is told to this day, on the Lord's mountain, He will provide. I have good, friend, I have good news for you, friends. At the mountain, at that immovable obstacle, that's where God will provide. God sees it. He knows the problem before you even arrived at it. He's had all of eternity to prepare an answer for it. Don't ever buy the devil's lie that, oh, I haven't had enough time to pray for this. All you need is a moment for that prayer to go up to heaven. God knew you were going to pray that prayer. And He just spent the last however long preparing the answer for that problem and mountain that you were encountering. He is the God who sees and provides. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, Philippians 4.19, this is a favorite for many of us. It says, my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. He is still in the supplying your need business. Right? There's no need you can bump up against that He cannot supply. Here's another great name of God, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. It means the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Man, I'm glad for that one. The Lord is peace. In Judges 6 and verse 24, this is where Gideon had built an altar. Right? Gideon is called to go out and do all these things. So he built an altar there to the Lord and he called it, the Lord is peace. And to this day it still stands at Oprah which belongs to the Azbarites. Is He still the Lord our peace? In the New Covenant, here's some witnesses for you. John 14, verse 27, Jesus said it. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Trouble, Being troubled, being troubled and fearful on the inside is not at peace. That's the opposite of peace. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 16, it says, May the Lord of peace. Oh, so now He's the Lord of it. Right, the Lord of Peace Himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. May the Lord of Peace give you peace always in every way. Is there any way left out in this new covenant that God would not be our God of peace? Nope. In every way, still the same God. Another name, powerful name of God. So glad about this name, Jehovah Sabot. Yehovah Sebot. It means the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. You know, He has the heavenly hosts. He's the best general there ever was. The Lord of armies. The Lord of hosts. We sing about this, don't we? How He is the Lord of armies. Or you could say, uh, one translation says the Lord of powers. Remember the story of Elijah, um, Elijah, Elijah, one of the guys, and, <laughs> and his servant, And they're surrounded by an army in the town. And he says, Lord, open up the servant's eyes so that he can see that there's more that be with us than be with them. And there was a lot with them. And suddenly his eyes were open and he could see the heavenly host, the heavenly armies out there. He is the Lord of armies. There is no problem big enough that that army cannot defeat. He is the Lord of armies. The first time it's used that way, I believe, is in... First Samuel in chapter 1 and verse 3 is talking about Samuel's dad Okay, before Samuel was born and he would go up to the temple every year and it says every year he went up to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts to the Lord of armies the ISV says it that way the Lord of the heavenly armies he is currently and can, will continue to be known as the Lord of armies of hosts revelations is full of it isn't it Talking about the armies and the hosts of heaven. In fact, James 5.4 even goes on and it says this. He was talking about people that were being taken advantage of and how their cries, the cries of the harvesters, have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies. Kind of connected to that one is the name of God called Yehovah Gemelu. Gemilaw. Yehovah Gemilaw. And it means the Lord who repays. The Lord of recompense. The Lord who repays, the Lord of recompense. Don't we again and again in in the Word, in the Old Testament, and the new, New Covenant, it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's what he says many times. In Romans 2, verse 6, it says, he will repay each one according to his works. The Lord of recompense. So, he was the God of recompense. Is he still the God who repays? Yes, it says so in Romans. And many other scriptures. So remember, we're talking reason number seven that we believe healing is always the will of God for everyone is because it's in His name. We haven't read it yet. The Lord's name, Jehovah Rapha. Or Jehovah Rapha. It means the Lord that heals you. The Lord that heals you. The Lord who mends you. The Lord who restores you. Lord who heals you it's first used in Exodus chapter 15 and in verse 26 he said if you listen carefully everyone say if if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do See, hearing is only half of it you can listen to every sermon that's ever been preached read every book that's ever been been printed you could read the Bible until your eyes rubbed the, the letters off the page and if you didn't do it it wouldn't do you any good If you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am, I am the self-existent One. Remember His name when He he talked to Moses at the burning bush? He said, I am that I am. The self-sufficient, all existing He says, I am the Lord Jehovah who heals you, is what He told them. If He was the God who heals... Has He changed? No, No, not at all. He's still the same. Did Jesus perfectly demonstrate the will of the Father as He walked the earth? Yes. Yes, healing again. And all who came to Him. Not one time did Jesus ever turn someone away and go, no, it's not the will of God for you. New covenant for this is in 1 Peter 5, verse 10. Now the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. Sounds pretty healthy, doesn't it? Personally restore, strengthen, support, establish. The God who restores, the Lord that restores you, the Lord that heals you. So that is reason number seven that we believe it is always the will of God. Just like John the Baptist went baptizing, God the Healer goes healing. It's in His name. It would be weird for Him to have a name if He didn't want people to be healed. I mean, that just He isn't like that in any of those other fifteen names that we read, right? Where He it was one way back then and is different now. No, but His name means that that's what His will is. Is it His will that He's everlasting? That He's Lord, that He's Master, that He's the God who provides. Yeah, that's His will. Is it His will then that He heals? Yeah. Heals you. So Someone say, He heals me. He Alright, reason number eight. Why we believe healing is always the will of God for everyone is because of the covenant of healing. The covenant of healing. you know what a covenant is? Let's go to Exodus chapter 15. A covenant is a, an agreement between two parties that goes way past just verbal confirmation. It's binding. When you think covenant, think a binding. A binding together. It's, it's Things and laws have changed, right? Now, if you made a covenant with another family, that means that what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. There's an exchange of possessions. There's an exchange of responsibilities. And there are certain rights that come with that. So in Exodus chapter 15, let's look in verse 22. So this is right after the Red Sea. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea. So did they have quite a victory there? Yeah, they did. The God of the host of armies and the God Almighty and and all kinds, God the Provider. and I mean, like all His names rolled up in one here led them through. So they went out to the wilderness to Shur and they journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. This is is a big deal. Three days, dry, hot, desert wilderness, no water, and you're not sitting in a shade tree, you're hiking. Three days of hiking is enough to kill most people with no water in the wilderness. So these guys, you have to think of them as being near death's door. They are desperate for water. So, it's not just a passing, oh, I'm thirsty. No, they, they are longing for water, or else they're going to die. What happens next? They came to Mara in verse 23, but they could not drink the water at Mara. Think of how their hopes must have soared. Oh, there's water ahead. And oh, I can't drink it. It's poisonous. can't drink it. It's, it's brackish. It'll make you sick. So, but they could not drink the water at M- M- Mara because it was bitter. That is why it's named Mara. Mara means bitter. The people grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against Moses. Did you know that you cannot grumble and complain in faith? You can't. You catch yourself grumbling and complaining, you're not in faith. Take a hold of yourself by the ear, and lead yourself away from it, right? Over to faith, the promise. And doubt does what? Doubt despairs, complains, and is sad. Faith rejoices gives thanks, and is glad. I'll say it again. Doubt, despairs, complains, and is sad. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Let's look at verse... uh, So they grumbled against Moses. What are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Well, this is prophetic. A tree to the rescue again. A tree, a cross. That stands, this is a symbol of covenant, isn't it? Showed him a tree. When he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. He made a statue and ordinance for them at Mara, and he tested them there. Statue and ordinance. This is covenant language. He made covenant with them. He made statue and ordinance with them. Verse 26, he said, if, everyone say if. Yeah. If. If you will carefully obey the Lord your God. See, this word if here, you understand that covenant, there's two parts to a covenant. There's your part and there's God's part. You do your part, He'll do His part. All right. so if... It's conditional. If you carefully obey the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, pay attention to His commands, keep all His statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you I have inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. This is that name where we get that name. We read it a little bit ago. And so this is all covenant language. And he, He's making an agreement with them. You do this part, and I'm your healer. This is His will for them. He goes on, and He says, um, actually, understand, this this promise is to a whole nation. To a whole nation. I mean, what would that be like for a whole nation to walk in divine health? No sicknesses. Hospitals closed down. Wouldn't that be amazing? Now, our nation is not living... According to the plan and purpose of God, for the most part, there are those of us that are right. But that would be amazing. So this promise was for a whole nation. Think of how impossible that is without God. At one point, it even says there was no sick or feeble among them in this whole nation. Amazing. He is. This is their covenant. He the, the EBR translation says it this way. He says, "I am Yahweh, thy physician. I'm your doctor." Dr. Jesus, covenant to be their healer, mender, restorer. Now, we're not going to get into it tonight. I've I've been telling you week after week that we're going to ask some hard questions and look at it and bring biblical answers to those questions. And one of those questions is generated in places just like this, where it says, if you obey all these things, I'm not going to inflict any illness on you, like I did to the Egyptians. So the question is, does God make people sick? We're not going to answer that question tonight. We're going to do that probably in the next sermon. Not next week, but the following week or the next time I, uh, the Lord has me speak on this subject. And we're going to examine that and say, what well, does the Bible say that God will make people sick? And we're going to look at that and answer it from Scripture. If you'd like to get a head start on it. We have some new books down in our library. It's called The Permissive Sense. They're $13. There's uh, 11 of them, I believe. They're on the bookshelf. And it's an excellent book. It's an excellent study done by Troy Edwards on the permissive and causative tenses in Scripture. In our common English, we do not have the permissive and causative verbs like they did in the Hebrew. And so when we say God ran... It has only one meaning, that He causatively did it. Yet, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, they had verbs that were not causative, they were permissive verbs. God allows it, is the difference. But that wouldn't be an exact translation because it's saying God did it, but permissively. Right? So. Uh, If you're interested in that and studying in that further, you can pick one of those books up down in the library. We are going to look at that topic and subject in depth. We're not reading fast past this verse or ignoring it or pretending that it's not there. Okay, We will address this thoroughly uh, as we go forward. But tonight, I'm wanting to stay focused on the covenant that He made of healing for you and I. Okay? Covenant of healing. It's reason number eight that we believe that it's the will of God for everyone to be healed, is because of his covenant of healing. Let's go over to Exodus 23. Exodus 23, verse 25 and 26. Also, another thing, uh, while you're turning to that, Exodus 23, that this book does a really good job of, that many people are not aware of, is the bias that our King James Bible was written in the Calvinistic bias. It was deliberately done a certain way, and he, he really lays a beautiful job of, of showing that. And so to make certain things fit, they had to translate them a certain way because, well, King James was a Calvinist, and that's who they were translating for. Many of our common uh, translations today are based and patterned after our King James Bible. I mean, praise God for the King James Bible and the Geneva Bible and the others that came around that same time. And um, there was a time that people were put to death for reading the Bible. And so, I don't, I'm not speaking disparagingly of the King James Bible at all. You know, there is no errors at all in the Word of God. There is no errors in what He said. There's no contradictions in what He said. There are errors in the man's translating of what He said. And there's a big difference. But there are no contradictions or errors in what God has said. Alright, let's look in Exodus 23, in verse 25, we're talking about the covenant of healing, our great physician. He says here, now this is in the middle of giving them the law and covenant that He made with them, okay? This is all part of it. He says, worship the Lord your God and He will bless your bread and your water. How many want your bread and water blessed? That means your substance, right? Right? It's it's going to also be your income because that's what you buy your bread and water with. He's going to bless your bread and water if you'll worship Him. He says, I will take away your illnesses. Wow, that's awesome. I will take away your sicknesses. No woman will miscarry or be barren in your land. Hallelujah. I will give you the full number of your days. Again, this is promised to an entire nation. You're all gonna live the full number of of, of your days. Amen. No life cut short, no little one cast out of the womb, but divine healing, divine health. I will take away your illness. This is all covenant language. Let's go to Deuteronomy Amen. chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And let's look in verse 9. He's giving them instructions here. He says, no. That Yahweh, your God, is God. How many can say God is God? The faithful God. Amen. Isn't He faithful? He is God and He is faithful God. Yahweh is your God, the faithful God, who keeps His gracious covenant loyalty. Covenant loyalty. He is loyal to His covenant. He faithfully, loyally upholds His covenant. What He said He would do. I'll read it again. The faithful God who keeps His gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commands. But He directly pays back and destroys those who hate Him. Remember the God of recompense? That's also in His name. He will not hesitate to directly pay back the one who hates Him. So keep the command, the statutes and ordinances that I'm giving you to follow today. This is all covenant language. He is loyal to his covenant. You know, the greatest thing that you can do for your children and grandchildren and great grandchildren and great great grandchildren and great 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 grandchildren and, and, and great great you know we go on for a thousand times. The best thing you can do for them is to live godly like he wants you to, because the Lord blesses them based on that for even a thousand generations. Verse twelve: If here it is again conditional. If there's two parts to. The covenant, your part, his part. If you listen to and are careful to keep these ordinances, this covenant, the Lord your God will keep his covenant loyalty with you. In other words, he's going to be loyal to his covenant with you if you'll do this. As he swore to your fathers, he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless your descendants and the produce of your soil, your grain, new wine and oil, the young of your herds, the newborn of your flocks in the land he swore to your fathers that he would give you. You will be blessed above all peoples. There will be no infertile male or female among you or your livestock. This is all old covenant that He is promising to them. Now, let's read verse 15. The Lord will remove all sickness from you. Does that leave any sickness included as God's will for you? No, remove all of it. He will not put on you all the terrible diseases of Egypt that you know about. He's not going to do that to you. He's going to remove those from you. Remove. All, this is all covenant. Covenant of healing. Jehovah Rapha. God is our healer. Some people would say, well, this is just for the Jews. Or, this was just for the Jews back then. You understand what the word Jew means, right? It comes from the word Judah. It's a short, it's short for the word Judah. Judah was a son of Jacob. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. His descendants are called the Israelites, right? So that, that's what a Jew is it's a descendant of Judah, descendant of Israel, descendant of Abraham. And some would say that, well, this is for the Jews. It's not for us today. Let's see about that. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. What does Romans chapter 2 tell us? Is this only for the Jews? But well, you shouldn't take my word for it, should you? No, you should take the word for it. Romans chapter 2 and verse 28 says, For the person, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. Well, praise God. His promises are yes and amen to the Jews. And you and I are Jews. You've been circumcised of the heart. That means you are truly, inwardly, a Jew. You are the Israel of God. Let's go to Galatians. We're not done. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Well, verse 6, let's start. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So we're speaking of Abraham. So now he says, so understand that those who have faith, who here has faith? Faith in the blood of Jesus. Right? So understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Hmm. We're descendants of Abraham through faith in Jesus. To be a son of Abraham means that you're now a Jew. Born a Gentile, now a Jew. Let's look at verse 26. Same chapter. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So we're heirs. We're in the line of Abraham. Line of Abraham. Let's look at chapter 6, Galatians 6, verse 15. It says, both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. See, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Right? All things old have passed away. All new things have come in that new creation which makes you the Israel of God, which makes you a Jew inwardly, inside. The covenant therefore belongs to you. Let's go on and read verse 16. May peace be on all those who follow this standard of the new creation and mercy also be on the Israel of God. That be you. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 11. It's Talking about our former condition. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised done by hand in the flesh. Is there any um, flesh Born Jews in here? Okay, so that makes us all used to be Gentiles. All right? (laughs) We all come from the same stock in that sense. So we were called the uncircumcised by the Jews who were the circumcised. Verse 12: At that time, you were, we were, without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Well, that implies we're not anymore excluded from citizenship of Israel. We were, now we're not. Goes on, he says, we were foreigners to the covenants of the promises, talking about those covenants, the old covenant. We were foreigners to those covenants, didn't belong to us. But in Jesus, in Jesus, those covenants belong to us, the Israel of God. We were without hope, without God in the world. Verse 13. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For He is our peace. Remember, He's still the God of peace. Jehovah Shalom. The God of peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, one. Tore down the dividing wall of hostility in His flesh. He did away with the law and the commandments and regulations so that He might create in Himself one new man From the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. Amazing. When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Fellow citizens and saints, members of God's household. So how many Jews do we have sitting in here? Yeah, count me in. Count me in. So that covenant does belong to me. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 8. You go, yeah, but that was old covenant. Old covenant. We're under a new covenant. Yes, we are. Hallelujah for that. Hebrews chapter 8, in verse 6, but Jesus. I love those but Jesus lines. Man, I mean, it's like everything went to hell in a handbasket, but Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. Is his ministry now better than the one that it used to be? Yeah, Yeah, it's better. It's superior. And to that degree, he is the mediator, he's the go between. He is the one that was able to seal the deal with the old covenant and create this plus this. What does it say? He says He is the mediator of a better covenant. Someone say better covenant. covenant. So under the old covenant, you could get physically healed, but under the better covenant, you got to stay sick. No, that don't make sense at all. How's that better? That's not better at all, is it? No, it's better covenant. So that means that what what was in the old covenant, you're going to have at least that and more in the New Covenant, which has been legally enacted on better promises, not worse promises, better promises. All right, so I'm holding here in my hand a $100 bill. I'll hold it that way so you can see a little better. Oh, that way. <laughs> Look like uh, one, right? No, this way. Okay, here's a $100 bill. Here's a $50 bill. Which one of these is better? How come the hundred is better? Because it's got this one and more in it. It has the 50 plus better in it. And so is our new covenant. It includes what the old covenant includes because else it wouldn't be a better covenant. So reason number eight, that we believe that it is God's will to heal everybody always is because of His covenant of healing. Someone say, He has covenant with me. He He is is my healer. We'll have the worship team come. Is there healing in His name? Yes, yes. Well, let's rejoice in that. If you need healing tonight, man, just present yourself to the Lord and say, Father, I receive all that you have for me. I believe the covenant of healing. You know, we're going to get into redemption and different types of redemption and what Jesus did on the cross and on and on and on. We've only begun these reasons for healing it's going to get a lot better and more powerful even than what we've already had. And what we've had is more than enough for us to be healed of every sickness that we could ever encounter. His Word is medicine. It will build your spirit up and give you a strong spirit to overcome. And on and on. His name, He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer, my healer. Someone say, Lord, you're my healer. I believe it. Of our praise.
1: Worthy of glory. Worthy
0: of, Worthy of Father, I thank you for your goodness. Worthy. Thank you for being faithful and everlasting. Thank you that you are God most high. Thank you, Lord, that you provide for us and that You are the Lord of Heaven's armies. Father, we thank You that You're our healer, our healer. Lord, You are good in every way. We exalt You. Jesus, thank You. Thank You for being willing to come. Thank You for being willing to give Yourself for us. Thank You for taking our penalty. Thank You for suffering on our behalf. Father, I thank You that You have made us Your sons and daughters. You are amazing. You are awesome we worship you, we exalt you, we lift you up and say glorify the Lord of hosts. Glorify God Almighty. Is he worthy of our praise? So then come out Wednesday night, join us as we praise and worship him, rejoice in him. We have much to rejoice in. Hallelujah. Also, one more thing. This man of God here today has a 39th anniversary. 39 years. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. Amen. All right. Well, one way we love God is by loving on one another. We invite everyone downstairs. We have a time of fellowship and finger foods. All are invited.
1: Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm just—it's so great to see each and every one of you here. Uh, we're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as family. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'd like to encourage you this morning out Psalms, this evening out of Psalms 95. <laughs> Habits—they just die hard, don't they? <laughs> Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord and let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with thanks. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Oh, come, let us worship him and bow down and kneel before our Lord and master for he is our god and we are his people of his pasture the sheep of his hand today if you hear his voice harden not your heart are you are you expecting to hear his voice tonight is your expectation up because he encamps around and about in the presence of his people in the praises of his people and as we enter into praise and worship he's showing up in a great way so we we all open our hearts let's all stand up together and lord we're going to sing to you a new song tonight and sing forth your praise and declare your glory among the heathen and wonders among the people we're going to honor and, and bring majesty to you and strength and beauty because it's in your tabernacle. It's here with us today. So we give you praise and glory because you are worthy of it. We thank you in advance. Amen. Is alive. Jesus is alive. He's alive. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, your only begotten Son, that you gave us here on the earth who died a horrific death so that all our sins could be forgiven. But not just that, our spirits could be recreated and alive unto you, Father, that we could have relationship and fellowship and communication with you that we can hear your voice and we can respond to you because our spirits have been anew and afresh and turned on to you. Father, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you for your willingness and obedience to do the Father's will. Thank you for being about the Father's business. Thank you for saying yes so we could say yes. Thank you that Jesus is alive, resurrected from the dead, and alive in me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Turn to your neighbor and say, Aren't you glad Jesus is alive in you? Hallelujah. Well, good evening.
0: Good evening. Someone needs to say, I am free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. So we're so grateful that we see, serve a good King, good in every way, and so tonight, that's who we're celebrating. Turn with me if you would, in your, actually before you do that, do we have any first time guests with us tonight? Wave, your, wave at me if you're here. Okay, right here we have one. Let's give them a hand and embarrass them properly. And um, right here, Adrian, or yeah, no, right here. That is something that you can uh, fill out and put in the offering basket if you'd like for us to stay in touch with you. There's also a place on there for prayer requests on the back, maybe, um, that you can write on as well. So we're grateful that you joined us tonight, and we believe that uh, the Lord's going to minister to you. I also see that tonight we have... Andrea's mama here. So welcome all the way from Guatemala. Hallelujah. She's going to get the, the award for coming the furthest to church. <laughs> Turn with me if you would over to the Gospel of John and if you need an envelope for your giving tonight go ahead and lift up your hand and keep it up until an usher sees you. And in that envelope there is a uh, if you're giving in cash and want to be receipted, that's what the envelope is for. Make sure your name's on it. If you're giving by credit card, well, you can fill out the blanks on the envelope for that. If you're making out a check, just make it out to Cwi. That'll be sufficient. And um, in John chapter three, I've told you this many times. I'm going to tell you again. One of my favorite giving scriptures is found in John three sixteen, and. On the surface of it, you might look at it and go, well, how's that a giving Scripture? Well, let's see. In John 3, in verse 16, it says, For God loved the world in this way. Do we all know that God loves us, right? Well, one of the ways we identify love is by His giving to us. And He gave that which was most valuable to Him. He didn't hold back from Him. In fact, in Romans 8, um, doesn't it say that if he's given Jesus to us, he won't withhold anything from us? So here, he loved us so much that he has given to us. In this, he loved us so much that he told us he loved us? Nope. That's not what it says, does it? He loved us so much that he sent a text message. No. He loved us so much that he sent angels to tell us. No. no. He loved us so much that he gave. Giving is the greatest expression of love. It's the greatest action of love is giving. And God loved us so much He gave to us His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We know that eternal life means to be on a one-to-one relationship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus explains it in John chapter 17. So, you and I, let's be lovers of God and let's give to Him. All right, Whether you're doing it online or, or tonight or in another house of worship tomorrow morning, wherever you be, that when you give, do it because you love God. Because you absolutely would withhold nothing from Him. And so when you give in that way, man, the supernatural power of God will come into play for your finances. All the promises that He has given to you concerning finances are yes and amen. That's right. So none of His promises have passed away, and we're going to believe them. So take a hold of your tithe or your offering, and let's pray. Father, I thank You so much that You loved us and that You gave, and Father, we... We know that You said that we should be like You, and so to You we give our offerings, and to You we return our tithe. Thank You, Father, that You are so faithful to Your promises, that You watch over Your Word to perform it, and that You cause miracles of financial, financial abundance to come into our accounts, into our possession, that You enable us to do the Great Commission just as You have directed us. In Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. So go ahead and uh, pass the basket if you haven't already. This coming Wednesday night, how many are looking forward to praise and worship night? So we are going to celebrate and worship and praise our Father. He is a good God. And so that is going to be Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. Again, bring your friends and enemies, bring them all. And uh, if we need to, we'll just have two services back-to-back if we can't fit them all in. Welcome back, Lee. And congratulations on Charlene Liberty. That's a powerful name. Awesome. And some of you may not know, but um, Charlene is a sister to Lee that went to go be with Jesus... And so uh, his little one carries her name, very special. All right, where were we? (coughs) Collect myself because that kind of thing makes me cry. (laughs) All right, if you would like to be in our upcoming Foundations class, if you're newer to our group, you can sign up in the lobby for that and that will be starting soon. Be watching for... Uh, some dates when we will begin that, and also a reminder to each of you that um, at 5 p.m. every Saturday evening we have a time of prayer down in the cafe, and everyone is invited. There doesn't need to be some special call of God on your life to come to this thing. We are all called to pray, so really we should all probably be there then, Um, and yet the room is still holding everyone, so If it gets too full, we'll just put them all out in the middle downstairs maybe. But everyone's invited. That's at 5 p.m. And um, it's not just a pre-service prayer. Um, Certainly, I'm sure that that the service will be covered in prayer. But it's a time of prayer. We live in a season and time where prayer is vital. Prayer is vital to the success of what the Lord is asking us to do.